This morning, Savior Saga Part 8 and the Temptation of Jesus. One of the most practically applicable passages of our Savior's life. This morning, verses 1 through 13. And it says there in verse 1, And then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those he ate, days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. I hope this morning that you lay hold of this passage. And I hope this morning that as you hear the word of the Lord and you realize what it is that Jesus did for you and I, that you'll walk in the same victory that the Lord himself purchased for you at Calvary's cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time this morning. And we turn our attention now to your word. Thank you for the power in Jesus' name. Thank you for the love that we have because of the cross. Thank you for the victory that's been won. And thank you for the life that we can now live. Help us to be victorious, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning... Remember what's just happened in the life of Jesus. He's been at the River Jordan. And I want to give you just a little bit of a mind picture here. Where Jesus is now going to be taken into the wilderness would be just a few miles likely from where he was baptized at the Jordan. We see these pictures in Scripture, and it's rather hard to put them together, but in that region of the South Jordan, before it flows into the Dead Sea, the region likely that John was baptizing in at the time that Jesus was baptized, because you remember it says that they came from Jerusalem to be baptized. They would certainly have not traveled all the way up north by the Sea of Galilee to do that. They would have been directly adjacent the city of Jerusalem, probably on the closest path, which travels through the Judean foothills outside of Jerusalem to the east, just a day's journey to the Jordan River. Slightly north of there, and in the the region of the modern-day city, the Palestinian city of Jericho, that city, of course, that you know from your Bibles is that place that that famous battle was fought. It's just a few miles away. But it sits at the base of a very, very, very barren and rocky mountain range, so much so that to this day, as small as Israel is, it is uninhabited. Nobody to this day lives there. And so they're in Quarantania, this this region that, uh, as you might guess from the word, it means in English translated out, transliterated, to be quarantined. It's so horrible there that that's where you'd put somebody who wasn't to be around. You wouldn't go there intentionally, in other words. There's nothing there. Rocks, caves. That is where Jesus was led by the Spirit. And I want to set the stage for you very quickly. People very often miss the great truth that's contained here. Jesus was, like you and I, a man. Amen? 
He was human. Jesus is now going to be led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. If Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil after a tremendously powerful experience as he is baptized and then receives the Holy Spirit upon him for his flesh to minister in the region of Galilee, I would say that you too and I as well can count on when there's been a great victory in our life, a great work in our life, we need to be on the lookout for what the devil is going to do next. He very frequently comes after you in that sense to try you, to test you. The classic passage that we need to understand here really is that first book, the first book, Uh, or the first chapter of the book of James, rather, and it says there that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And it goes on to describe this work that tests do. And let me simply run through this with you. Jesus was sinless. Amen? Jesus was a man. Amen? Jesus was tempted. Amen? What chance do you think that you're going to have of going through this life without being tempted? The answer to that is zero chance that you're going to go through this life and not be tempted. If Satan in his boldness of evil came after Jesus in that regard, I guarantee you, you are not as strong as Jesus in his weakened flesh. Satan will attempt to tempt you. In saying that, temptation cannot, therefore, in and of itself, be sin, can it? And temptation cannot be real unless you actually have thought about it. Amen? This story would be absolutely ludicrous if Jesus was not actually tempted in his flesh. And we're going to see that in the story. So, temptation, family of God, is not sin. People often get the wrong impression. And I want to just draw a very quick conclusion here to that aspect of it. Be careful that you do not hold people accountable for what you think they think and call it sin. Because what you think they think may not be what they think, and what they think may not be sin. Amen? We make an awful lot of people very miserable because we want to play Holy Spirit and believe that we know what someone else thinks and thereby because we think that they might think something, we think that thinking is sin. It's not true. If so, Jesus was a sinner. You need to lay hold of this. It is not sin 
to think something that is wrong. It becomes sin when you act on it. So to be tempted is not sin. Be very careful where you draw the line with that regard. Because you can attribute sin to people who have done nothing more than simply be tempted. Because you don't know what's happened in their mind. You have no idea what's in their heart. And you are not to be the judge of what you think they are thinking. And that includes even if they have a history of thinking the wrong things in their thinking. How many people become condemned because of what other people think they have thought? Would you please leave that between Jesus, who is the Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and a loving God? I want you to check this out. And man, can you hear the voice of the enemy in this whole passage of Scripture? As Jesus deals with the adversary, he's led into the wilderness, this horrible place. The devil, the once anointed cherub, the the powerful worship leader of heaven, likely. Don't forget that the enemy knows exactly how to tempt you and how to test you. And I would encourage you to read James chapter 1. You ladies are, are about to get through that chapter. You you, you see, it says there that God is incapable himself of tempting anyone. He doesn't tempt. He allows us to be tempted for the testing of our faith. But he himself doesn't do that. The devil tempts. But he does lead us to places to where we can be tested by the Spirit. Not because he doesn't know or is incapable of understanding your plight or your lot in life, but for the express purpose of growing you up and strengthening you. Because he knows what you can go through, but you don't know what you can go through. And in your flesh is where that fight is fought. In your mind is where that fight is fought. And in your spirit is where that fight is fought. And so this morning, the first place and the first thing that we see is that dry, dusty, destitute place that then was called the wilderness. It's the same for you and I today. I am most susceptible to the testing that the Lord would allow and that the enemy wants to do because he hates us. God does it because he loves us and allows it. The enemy does it because he hates us and wants to kill us. Notice the difference in motivation? The enemy wants to kill you. God wants to grow you. God is doing something wonderful in allowing the test, and Satan's trying to do something horrible in getting you to fail. If Jesus had that happen in his life, I guarantee you, you will go through tests in life. You will be tempted in life. You will have things that come into your life that you're going to be struggling with in your mind, in your spirit, and in your flesh. The three areas that Jesus is tested in here. 
Remember Hebrews chapter 4, and you need not turn there. I'll simply read you a couple of verses, picking up in verse 14. Mark it down. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Remember the role of the high priest. To go in and intercede for the remission, the putting away of sin. We have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. Amen? Who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? To the glory of God the Father. That's my confession. Jesus, who is the Christ, the Anointed One, the One who alone can save and remit sin, He is my Master. I hold fast to that confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Now you know why this says it. For, but it was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. And let us therefore become those bold people before the throne of grace. you realize you can go boldly to the throne of grace? You don't have to kind of sneak in the back door of the throne of grace. I used to do that when I was a young Christian. Well, I, I don't really want anybody to know that I actually came in to get grace, so I'm going to sneak in the back door of grace. Come boldly to the throne of grace, that we obtain mercy, amen? We don't get what we deserve. Because Jesus was tempted and tested just like you are, and yet He passed the test. I don't pass the test all the time. You guys pass the test all the time? I don't pass the test all the time. Every once in a while, I don't pass the test. And I sure don't fail the test like I used to fail the test. I used to be a failure at passing the test. It's like when you learn any subject in school. You know, initially you don't do so good on tests, amen? But then as you study, all of a sudden you're getting 80, 90%. Maybe you pull off that 100% every once in a while. It's the same way with all tests, including spiritual tests. The more you study, the more you learn, the more you use it. Guess how effective you become at passing the test. And that's the picture here from Jesus. Jesus was engaged in the same war that we face every single morning. And I want you to notice he was tested for 40 days before the devil even had enough guts to come to him. Jesus was starving to death. You can almost hear him, and, and don't forget what we've already described. Satan is not Jesus' equal. Satan is a defeated foe, but he's a thief, he's a liar, he is a punk, and he hates you. He hates me. He hates the church. And so anything he can do to try and upset the apple cart of God, you can bet your last dollar that he absolutely will attempt to do it. And so what we have here is a running battle. It's been going on for 40 days in the wilderness. And Jesus is now weakened. And I want you to see where these things go. The first temptation is completely an attack on Jesus' flesh. So know this, He's coming after your flesh. So for those of you who struggle with ding-dongs and Twinkies and extra slices of pie, uh, Jesus was hungry, okay? He, he had his flesh tested. Lust. Flesh test. Amen? God created you as a sexual being. God created you as men and women. God created you with that drive. 
But it can be tested. And it can be used for the wrong purposes. Amen? God created the world and everything in it. You need food. Amen? Well, most of us do. But if you spend all of your time searching after wealth and hoard it up for yourself, it can become a problem. It can be a test. The first temptation is about the will of God. It's an attack on the flesh. And the devil said to him, If, notice he even questions Jesus whether he is the Son of God or not. If you're the Son of God. Command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered and said to him, For it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You see, it's not a matter of whether you're a bread hoarder or not. It's a matter of whether what bread you have, you have sought the Lord for, and then you use that bread for the kingdom purposes for which it was intended. It's a test of will. Probably some of you grew up in the day and time, like many of us in this room, where there were the hostess bread stores. It's where all the day-old bread went to, and all the day-old donuts went to, and you could go and you could like stuff your car full of bread. It was like ten cents a loaf. The temptation was to hoard up as much bread as you could possibly carry. There was a problem. It didn't last forever. You needed bread daily. And so you could go get 500 loaves of bread if you wanted, but it still didn't do you any good. You needed daily bread. And the same is true now. We can store up for our flesh all the things that we think we want. We can get as much junk as we think we can handle. We can collect stuff all day long. And ultimately, if it's still not under the authority of Jesus Christ, it will become a weight to you. And the enemy will be able to attack. And you can hear the devil, you know, look at me. Come on, Jesus, what's going on here? And you're the Son of God, aren't you? And you can turn these rocks. I mean, you created, you say you created the world. Just turn these rocks to bread. You're hungry. Let me give you a little key point here. Jesus had not yet been told of God the Father to break his fast. Simply eating would have been problematic. He was still fasting before the Lord. He was being obedient to what God the Father had led him to do. How often it is our disobedience to the will of God that brings us into that place to where we can really be hammered on by the enemy. I'm outside of the will of God and therefore I'm exposed to the plans of the enemy. Jesus knew he was in the center of God's will. The temptation was to gratify himself, and yet Jesus said, not on your life. He dismisses it, and he quotes Scripture to him. He says, it is written, a man shall not live by bread alone. All of these quotations of Jesus, by the way, are from Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. The second temptation Where do you worship? It was an attack of the spiritual things in Jesus' life. Where do you worship? You'll also note that this is an attack on the very character of Christ. It's an attack on our faith. It's an attack on our hope. 
It's an attack on our love. Verse 5, And then the devil, taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. So here it is. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. Can anyone tell me how much authority Satan actually had? None. He's always been a liar. He didn't have that authority. He can give partial authority. He can give temporary authority. He can pass out little tidbits, but he is not Christ's equal. This was Satan, a created being, talking to Jesus, an uncreated being. Furthermore, the creator of heaven and earth. And I'll give you their glory. Notice the worship aspect of it. We worship because of the glory of God. Amen? For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Notice how there's a partial truth. Satan does have power. But it's not the whole truth. He does not have power over Christ, and he does not have power over his kids either, you. Unless you give it to him. He has the ability to afflict. He has the ability to test. But ultimately, by the power of the Spirit, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. Amen? Satan's a defeated foe. And therefore, if you will worship before me, all of this will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written. Notice each time the Lord simply responds with the power of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, according to Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what God's Word says. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Notice how Jesus doesn't even glorify it with an argument. He simply outright quotes the word, says this is what the word actually says. Family of God, that is for us this morning. Simply trust what the word of God says and do it. You can hear the devil's voice. You're famished. You failed. Look at you. You're worthless. You're the son of God. Anybody else ever hear those lies from the enemy? You're worthless. What are you doing? What's this church thing that you're doing? Why are you trusting God? Is the Bible is the literal word? Why are you trusting that? Anybody else in here ever been tested that way? I have. I have. Recently. This is one, I think it's one of the most common attacks against pastors. Well, look, you keep sharing the word with them, and they're just as messed up as they were before. Some of them are more messed up. But see, you get that dart fired right into the very heart of who you are as a Christian. He says, you know what? No chance. Get behind me, Satan. Took out the sword of the Spirit and just slashed him. The third temptation. 
It's an attack on the mind. It's an attack on love. It's an attack on the very word itself. Notice what he says, verse 9. And then he brought him to Jerusalem. And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. There are two likely spots for this. Solomon's porch and the guard station that normally would be occupied all night long by a priest waiting for the sunrise because it was at the sunrise that the morning prayers would begin. So there would be a priest in that spot, but it overlooks the Cadron Valley to the south. Elevation-wise, it's almost 450 feet to the bottom of the Cadrone Valley from that place on Solomon's porch. And he takes Jesus there and says to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Hath God surely said, That's what he said in the garden, Really? Is that the way it goes? Getting you to question in your mind whether God's real or not? Whether God has ever worked in your life or not? Whether God is actually active in this world or not? Or He's just some mythical being? You're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall notice this. He begins to quote Scripture himself. Never forget that the enemy is the number one master in all of the universe at misquoting Scripture. He leaves out what he wants. He doesn't include what he should. Never quotes full verses, only quotes parts of them. He shall give his angels charge over you, the 91st Psalm, by the way, to keep you And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now the devil, having ended every temptation, he went after his mind, he went after his spirit, he went after his body. Basically, the devil went after everything that we are as a human being. All three parts of you. Because that's who you are. You have a physical body. You have a mind with which you think and reason, and you have a spirit that is the part that is eternal, that's going to dwell one place or another, depending on who you've trusted. Satan went after every bit of Jesus. He's going to come after every bit of you. And now the devil had ended every temptation, and he departed from him until an opportune time. Never forget that the devil is an opportunist. He may not be omniscient, omnipresent. He may be not be omnipotent, but he's really powerful, and he's an opportunist, and he's not stupid. He knows exactly when, where, and how to test you, tempt you, to try and draw you away. And you can hear him again. Is that what you really believe? You know, come on. I mean, if you're actually God, then why would you care what God's Word says? I mean, aren't you the Word of God? And this is exactly how the enemy works in our lives today. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus, you're going to be forgotten. But you know what? You toss yourself off of here and then save yourself. Everybody's going to worship you. 
Everybody's going to realize how great you are. You're going to have everything. You just pull off another miracle. Do something exciting. Right now, nobody over there in the Sanhedrin, in the ruling court of the Jews, they don't even know who you are. You huck yourself off of here? Oh, everybody's going to... Man, I saw him. He plunged and he didn't die. People come running out of the Sanhedrin. They're all gathering for morning prayer. They come booking out. Yeah, I saw him. He plunged off the top of Solomon's porch. Look, he's alive. Satan's constantly trying to get us to do dumb stuff. Telling you that when you do that dumb stuff, you're actually going to benefit from it. Yeah, lie on that mortgage application. After all, you'll get that house. Cheat on those taxes. I mean, after all, isn't the government a criminal in waiting? And again, I know I do this too good, but just hear what I'm saying. This is how he works, isn't it? Constantly trying to get you. Well, just fling yourself off the building. It'll be okay. You know, you can save yourself. Hear that in there? You can save yourself. It's the same thing that he says to this day. You can save yourself. Family of God, there are no shortcuts. The enemy is going to attack the basic virtues of Christ in your life, going to attack your faith, going to attack the hope that we have in heaven, and is going to attack God's love. You see, as he's up here on top of this precipice, Basically, Satan's saying, look, you take control of it yourself. And he partially quotes some scripture. He misquotes some scripture. That's the basic tactic of every cult, by the way. It's what they do. They don't quote the whole verse, just part of the verse. Oh, well, you know. Can I tell you that some Christians are dumb enough to do that for, to themselves? They play Bible roulette. Oh, look, right here. Rise up early to drink wine. I like that verse. Oh, but it goes on and says, and then your bed will turn like the sea. Just take charge of it yourself. After all, you're okay with that. Be watchful, because when you've been walking in victory, the enemy's going to try something to get you to take charge again of your own life. It always comes back to the Lordship. It always comes back to the Lordship. Jesus is Savior. He died to redeem you from every lawless deed but it comes back to the Lordship. Who's in charge? Who's driving? Who really is controlling your life? Is it the Spirit? Is it faith, hope, and love? Or is it you trying to use your mind? Is it you trying to use your body? Is it you trying to weasel your way through the spiritual world? In this particular case, there's only one way that the enemy can be beaten. And that's head-on by Jesus, who is the Word of God. Amen? Amen? He is the Word, by the way. 
So when he's quoting, he's quoting himself, and he's acting on his own behalf because he alone has the power. We'll wrap with this. Little girl was asked one time if she'd ever been tempted to do anything wrong, and she said, oh, yes. I get tempted all the time. But when Satan knocks on the door of my heart, I just ask Jesus to get the door for me. (laughs) And then it was, well, what happens after that? Oh, everything turns out all right. When Satan sees Jesus, he runs away. (laughs) Amen. Amen. The next time the enemy comes knocking on your door, tell Jesus to get the door. Amen. (laughs) Respond with the word. Say very proudly and loudly, Jesus, could you get the door for me? Because if I answer the door, it may not work out all that good. When that door opens and Satan sees Jesus, he turned and fled. Walk in that power, please. We, we need the Lord like we've never needed Him before. And if you walk in that power, you're going to walk in victory. doesn't mean you won't be tempted, but being tempted isn't sin. Being tempted means that you're a threat to the enemy's kingdom. That there's something about your life that the Lord Jesus wants to use and the enemy of your soul doesn't want it to happen. And in surviving that test and thriving in that test and having Jesus get the door in that test, you prove what God already knows. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Jesus, thank you for the example, for the power, for the sacrifice that's given us eternal life and has given us victory in the life that we live on this earth. And Lord, we want to walk in victory as we await your return. Lord, we don't know how long you'll tarry, but we want to tarry well. And Jesus, when the enemy comes, we invite you to get the door for us. Lord, help us to have your word hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Lord, bless us and anoint us. Use us this week, we pray, as your powerful instruments to accomplish your plans and your purposes. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship him, then we'll pray for our...